Good evening, everyone. It is time to talk about the hype trains that we walked into in 2021, the reality of the first few weeks of the season, what was happening into May, and all the players that were discussed, what are they up to right now? It's time for Dingers. This is Dingers, way more than fantasy baseball. We keep it real when we talk and knock it straight out the park. <laughs> Let's see the stats. What's the average draft position? What kind of plays you making? Check the wins above replacement. Check the lineups and the points. This I gotta see. What's your path to victory? Are they aiming for a dynasty? Get points going head to head. Please don't do me no favors. We're always watching waivers. Ain't no minor league. This is major. Yeah. Dingers. Let's go. Welcome to Dingers, the only fantasy baseball podcast for smart people. It's not just your man Mercedes that wins you championships. That's why week in and week out, we're delivering tips and strategies to help you live that straight up OG lifestyle. Tyler Childs joined again by Robbie Baseball from the Murder Room. Robbie, how are you doing tonight, buddy? Rough. <laughs> I I am like most MLB bullpens right now. I am feeling rough on a Sunday. How are you? I'm excellent. I mean, it's been a busy week for work. All of a sudden, the world wants to do events again, and it has been crazy town. So, launched some new products, lost some sleep, probably lost a year off my life uh, just with the, <laughs> the stressful week, but we're good. We're ready to talk baseball. We're entering playoff season in actual baseball, which is phenomenal. Um, exciting to to talk about that. And, yeah, just ready to, to get into it, Robbie. Yeah, and typically, we're, we're either – um, depending on when you're listening, you're in your finals, uh, you're wrapping up your roto season, MLB regular season's coming to an end, and everyone has forgotten about exactly what we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the off-season hype train, the early season success stories, and the values that were placed on these players, and what has happened over the course of this season when all of the fantasy baseball industry concentrates on the first five weeks and then just kind of dissipates. And a lot of the podcasts ourselves included start to talk about how, you know, sometimes listeners drift off, uh, they tail away the engagement with people goes, uh, but we're dynasty. We're in this all the way. There's a ton of value to be had. There we've is got no off season. Yeah. We we've got a, a discussion to, coming up on a future podcast about the value of September stats. Uh, Ty talks about spring training stats being important. I think September stats are a great way to launch into your off season. Do you want to buy into those guys or do you want to just, you know, wipe your hands of somebody because of the way they finished? And um, I mean, Tristan McKenzie, Ty, I talked to you about this before, but uh, he was lighting it up six straight amazing starts and then two crappers this week. And in the league that I have him in my world series, uh, minus eight on the point scale. And prior to that, he had been averaging 25 points per start. So that is a 60 point dip. And wouldn't you know it in my finals right now, I am down 70 points. So um, Tristan, screw you, but uh, I'm still buying this off season. <laughs> yeah. You know, the worst part about us going to this live stream thing is I no longer have access to the tiny violin. <laughs> uh, on, on a soundboard but yeah i mean i'm complaining <laughs> about the performance of a player in my world series i am in my my league's world series for that matter so and two straight years but anyway if we're going to get into this topic and i know i know what we're about to dive into ty um giving one of our our listeners and someone who's been on the pod uh using his site before we do that i mean i need to a long time ago someone decided to put stuff in glass bottles. In some of these bottles, they put juice or milk, and that was stupid. Today, only alcohol and a few other products remain in the containers from the gods. It's time for beers and bourbon, because good advice only comes in a bottle. Boom. 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 We need we <sighs> need a sound effect from John Madden. Just boom. <laughs> I'm finishing my weekend the same way I started and um, participated through most of it, which is Miller Lite. Um, well, I, yeah. I threw a curveball at myself yesterday. I had a, a friend of mine over. We were watching the Jays game. 
and we got into some uh rise and cokes so that was yeah that was that's a little bit different i haven't been on that train in a while so that was that was a nice little thing so i'm i'm with you i'm not as excited about uh water right now as i am of just keeping the dream alive (laughs) speaking of which like let's talk about let's dive in tonight so we're talking redraft there's nothing more attached to keeping the dream alive than a redraft team um because you're just trying to guess and you know we're critical of redraft it's it's a fun format it's not our favorite format but you know there's a little bit too much luck involved and we're going to dive into some of the research and analysis that happens in a lot of these leagues and some of the things we like to expose as it applies to the dynasty world so we're going to take advantage of our friend roto ronnie and we're going to use his aggregate stats um or or ranking sorry from from his site he pulled together series of the major platforms into a singular dashboard where he can rank all those teams or players together for an aggregate total, meaning this is the industry expectation for these players. And this is in the redraft format. So there's a lot of room for wiggle here. Um, and, and I mean, right off the hop and not any fault of this player, uh, but the number one player in, in the list, the aggregate total was not the number one fancy player this year may have been had he stayed healthy, but Robert Acuna was the aggregate one. Uh, Robbie, he's a guy that you love to love, uh, but he's not number one. Do you think he's going to bounce back to that? He he only isn't number one because of injury. He's not number one because of performance. He was, I think, either second or fifth at the time of his injury. So I see either second no... or fifth. Well, <laughs> I I just I'm trying to think of five by five versus eight by eight. I think in our eight by eight, he was second when he got hurt. Um, but in five by five, it may have been fifth. Um, but anyway, it, regardless, he was a top five player. And when he got hurt, uh, the leagues in which I, I rostered him was, it was so obvious to me that, um, this was just going to screw my year over, but that's when you have to hit the waiver wire, get into the trade situations, start to look for the funky guys, you know, raking at triple a, if you can pick them up and throw them in your minors and just hope that they come up, you know, Jose Siri, that's, that's a guy we've talked about, Ty. Um, we, we told people a long time ago, look, what's going on here. You got to follow these lines. They can lead to good places in Jose Siri now raking. Now, um, your question on Acuna. Yeah. I, I see no dip in performance for him coming back next year. I full I do, buy. I, I don't think he's going to be the same, uh, moving forward. I think the, the stolen bases is going to come down. And I think the reality is he's still going to be an elite player. Uh, but I do think the stolen base regression is coming because I think Atlanta is going to force him to stay put because they need the home run and OPS production over the couple extra bases that he can provide. Even though it's it's great for fantasy owners, they're going to ramp it down because they don't want to take away his defensive ability either by hurting his legs any more than they already are. So I, I do think we'll he's going to have a fantasy regression. I do. Um, okay. But but let's go back to the beginning of the year really quick here while, while we're at it, Rob. Like the debate at the beginning of the year was who's number one, Acuna, Betts, Tatis, Trout, Soto. Like those are the five that could have realistically went number one. And yep. of those, there's really only one option, right? At the end of this season. Like there was there was one clear option that should have been number one, and that's Tatis, right? He played the most games out of this group, which is crazy. Um, but wow. at the same, but at the same time, like that was one of the things that I had said in preseason is that you can replace the other guys a little bit easier than Tatis in my mind. Um, I just thought you were going to get the best production and he was the youngest guy in the group. Um, and I thought he was going to give you the best likelihood of a consistent season. And Acuna was more because of the strikeouts for me than the injury possibility, but it was the same conversation. So, you know, ruled out bets very, very early for me. Um, I I like Soto. Soto would have been a coin flip for me, coin flip Soto Tatis. I would have been good with either of those, but those for me, were the two obvious first picks. And then the third one actually would have been Trout for me because of the consistency method. And I think that's the mistake a lot of fantasy owners, especially in redraft you, you see it in dynasty, but it's more prevalent in in redraft is they bet on the upside, right? And the, the players that win championships bet on consistency, right? And so that's the difference that I wanted to highlight there just because I think it's so important because there's a lot of people season in a snake draft that was over very early because they lost one of those players. Well, I'll, I'll use the um, industry 
standard TGFBI league that I'm in. There, there's 430 or something like that people in. And <clears throat> in the first four rounds, um, I had players who lost significant time in the year. And that was just, you know, I, I thought very early on, like, I've, I've got two ways to go about this. My my hitters are all hurt. Or sorry, my pitchers are all hurt. And my hitting is the best in my league. Um, how do I want to go about this? So for uh, this NFBC format, which is the host site here, uh, what's the most you can have? I think 65, maybe. I don't know. Whatever the most you can have for pitching is. Um, I had 15, which was like, there's 15 categories. If you're in last, you get one point. So I had 15 points. I was not able to compete. Actually, you can have less because somebody has 14 right now <laughs> Whoops, in one of my leagues. But anyway, my point was just that I knew I had a huge battle in front of me um, because I had this, this hitting talent that was doing so well and this pitching that was doing so poorly. I concentrated on getting the streaming pitchers, um, who's going to be the next up for a closer. And I, I just put them on my team and, and sat them. Uh, because of the redraft angle to this, as my hitter started to get hurt, I dropped down. So instead of having, you know, 60 plus points in my hitting category, I've been settling into the low 50s and into the 40s now. Um, but my pitching went from having 15 points to 44 right now. So I'm sitting at 171 tonight, Ty, in that TGFBI league where there are at least 429 people because someone in my league is in 429th. Um, but I will say that you can, if, in a roto format specifically, you can pick categories to attack. And if you're in head-to-head, -head, sometimes that's like the worst thing you can do, right? If your team's not getting stolen bases and you decide you need that category, if you start to pick up the Jonathan VRs of the world, all of a sudden you forget about the fact that like playing time's a concern. And that's the biggest thing too. If your guys aren't playing, like, you know, injuries aside, if you get players who play three out of five days versus four out of five days, that's going to hurt you over the course of the year. Um, the Darren Ruff matchup type guys of the world are really only key in daily leagues. So, uh, I, I mean, I don't know, like who, who are some of the other guys that you saw that were highly ranked that have just fallen off the map? You mentioned Bellinger earlier to me. Bellinger, Yelich. Uh, who else would be on this list? Like Giolito almost to some extent would be in that category. Rendon. He's had performance and injury, which Correct. has hurt on both. But, but, both but ends. again, we're talking about a snapshot here, right? We're talking yep. about the impact of a redraft theory in your, in your drafting. Well, right? he missed so, week one of the fantasy playoffs for everybody too, Ty. Cause I had him in a league that I kind of limped into the playoffs and Giolito didn't play. Kershaw missed two months, you know, yeah. didn't play. Um, he's back now back for MLB playoffs, but Oh man, is he ever hurting us? Um, well, fantasy owners. And I mean, you get further down and you look at guys like uh, Mondesi, uh, Alberto Mondesi. You look at guys like DJ LeMahieu that would have hurt you this year in the draft spot. You would have taken them. Marcelo Zunia for obvious, obvious reasons. Um, well, Trevor Bauer but, then to the same extent. <clears throat> and here, here's one that, you know, what do you do in the industry? Industry rank. Uh, I, like, let me ask you this one. Okay. So fun, fun quiz here. The aggregate average is 51 on this player. Who would that yep. be? You take a shot. Somebody that outperformed 51. Outperformed 51. Yeah. Uh, hit or pitcher? Offense. Okay. Uh, well, let's say Otani. But Otani, I'm, Otani was like 120 or something like that, I think. Yeah. Vladdy. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, I missed that one. Okay. That's a whiff, right? That's a whiff on the whole industry because, you know, if you look at the way the major platforms ranked him, 64, 17, Fancy Pros, good for you guys. Um, Roto, Roto Baller, 77, so 68, 47, 47, 40, 53. So, so only close. Fantasy Pros was on, on the nose. Inside, was the only one inside of 40. Right, and putting him That's, in a 15-team or putting him in a second-round position. Correct. That's a whiff. That's a hard, hard whiff. So and, where was Otani? Is he available? Because I feel like he was north of 100. Yeah. I mean, <clears> this <throat> is a guy that's been that in that position for a while unnecessarily. Um, he was, oh, Tom, he, he was 162. 162. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so there's a there's a 205. I was just going to say, who had him the furthest back? Who was done with him? 205 in Rasball. Uh, 112 Roto Champ was the high. Wow. Yahoo is 183. ESPN 125. Um, yeah. P 
pitcher list. Come on, guys. 190. He's a pitcher. Oh, fast. Fast. Come on. I wonder wonder where they had um, Dylan Bundy ranked. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fun one. Uh, Bundy was 152 on their list. So ahead of Otani. Wow. Well. I mean, everybody poops, right? But um, some of the other guys, too, that we wanted to talk about, because, again, bigger leagues, not just necessarily those guys off the top, but there were players that were getting hyped early in the season. Ty mentioned Yerman Mercedes off the hop. Now, these were nobodies and then became the focus through April and into May. And some of the other notables here were uh, Tyler Stevenson, uh, Bobby Dahlback, Nate Lau with the Rangers, Nicky Lopez later in the year. He had his moment in time and, and still having it, really. Um, Brennan Rogers as well, you know, former top prospect for a long time, really hit that prospect fatigue, uh, Edmundo Sosa with the Cardinals, Josh Donaldson has been completely forgotten Ty, And I wanted to mention Donaldson simply because, um, he's had a 251, 828 OPS year, 24 dingers when I did this. So he could have hit another one or two since then it was earlier this week. I did this and right around 70 runs, 70 RBIs. And this is on a twins team that has plummeted from its expectations of a 90 plus win team. Um, But Donaldson quietly chugging along, I'm sure on a lot of teams that ended up in fantasy playoffs. Um, Another guy getting it done under the radar, but every year it seems to be the same thing. Freddie Galvis, uh, big popular guy this year, Akil Badu. I think uh, he was supposed to have way more power, but I'd like to say this right now, uh, headed into play tonight, 13 dingers on the year, 14 stolen bases. I don't think anyone's going to really consider if he doesn't get another stolen base, he's not going to be considered a threat for next year. I would look for both of those categories to take a little bit of a jump up. Doesn't need to be, you know, 10 each, but if he could get somewhere around 15 to 20 stolen bases next year, 15 to 20 home runs, uh, that that's going to be a dangerous player on a Detroit team that should be better. And he's over 50 for both runs and RBIs. And that was someone who in April was a hot guy. And then everybody said, oh, forget about him. You know, well, forget and, about him. And I think Detroit did a great job with his progression. They they buried him at the bottom of the lineup for a lot of this season. And yep. then as the season has went on, as they felt a little more comfortable with his progression, they put him in the one hole. I think that's where he's going to end up moving forward. So I do think his value is going to be a lot higher entering next season. But I do think that people are going to be a little late to that party of the top of the lineup conversation. So I, I like you, Robbie, think there's progression on those two stats you talked about. I think mm-hmm. there's a very real possibility of a 2020 guy here. Very real. Well, I, I, I agree. I would also say that you, as a as a dynasty owner, as a fantasy player right now, you have to hope he doesn't hit 15 dingers or stolen bases because then people will not say he's a 15-15 guy or yeah. he's a 2020 guy because they're going to, when people are just checking stats, Badu's just going to get lost in the mix, right? He's like, oh yeah, that was the guy who came out strong and then eh, what's the stat line? Yeah, no, nothing special, right? Because they're going to forget about the fact that with Badu, there's going to be the opportunity for um, the sophomore slump, sure, but more than likely solidifying himself into next year. And like you said about top of the order, um, Andrew Benintendi was a real hot topic this offseason. You know, what what Benintendi are we going to get? Uh, 276 average, 758 OPS, 16 dingers, eight stolen bases, uh, 60 runs, close to 70 RBIs. I mean, that's a bounce back for where he was. The average going back up is a good thing. Um, you know, it, it's just everybody was saying that this was like the guy that could win you leagues this year. He's been far from that outside of maybe a 10 day period where he had a good run. Uh, and and those are some of the hitters that have been more notable. Now, uh, circle back to Nate Lowe, who was really, really hot in April. He at this point in time, Ty only has 15 home runs for the year and a 260 average. And he's under 70 for both runs and RBIs. So for somebody who is getting a ton of hype uh, very early in the season, it has fallen off. And the opposite. Bobby Dahlback, who I had ranked very high as a prospect for me, thinking that there was a lot of power potential here. Oh my God, was he dreadful. Sub 200 <laughs> average, probably headed into June even. But you know what? 247, when I wrote this up for the 26-year-old, 23 dingers, 76 runs, 48 RBIs. Yeah. Like the, the only issue getting with Bobby it Dahlbeck, done. though, is that he's a placeholder. So he has to do one of two things to survive in Boston. He's going to have to go play left field, which is very plausible for him because when Tristan Casas gets here, that that infield position that he's been holding on to is gone, right? Tristan Casas is a middle of that order bat 
and he looks on the cusp. Like we could see him in, in June next year or, or whatever the super two deadline is. I can never keep track of that. Mm-hmm. One. Well, we might, we might see a whole change this off season with all that. That's stuff, true. But, too. Yeah. We um, might see him in 2023 yeah. too. When baseball. Comes <laughs> <back>. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. When baseball returns, let's not do that to ourselves or our <laughs> listeners. Um, yeah. So some of the other guys tied and, and this list I'll say here, uh, these, these are some of the guys that I think were under the radar that have done good things this year. Now, the easiest one to mention here. Can I, is can what, I go back really quick? Yeah, yeah, please, please. Move on. Yeah, Just on, on Josh Donaldson, um, you know, the Jays have played him the last two weeks, uh, seven games here. And as somebody that's watched Donaldson for a number of years in Toronto, now seeing, so the, the thing that I'm very concerned with with Donaldson is that he's become this oppo field guy. And so I don't know if he's playing a game of cat and mouse at this stage or if he's just getting pitched away, but the Jays buried him on the inside of the plate this week and he looked awful. And if you remember back in his Toronto days, Robbie, like that, he feasted on the middle in, in mm-hmm. uh, of the plate. He just doesn't look like the same guy, you know, very reminiscent of the back couple of years of a rod's career where he just couldn't touch the high fastball and was getting beat inside regularly. So I'm, I'm really concerned about his value moving forward unless he's just playing this ridiculous game of cat and mouse and he's just setting people up for next season because this year's useless and he's just trying to work on that oppo field. So mm-hmm. where I'm going with this is this is a guy that I'm going to be looking at in the spring and I'm going to be watching what he's doing on the inner half. Oh, spring training a, stats. I like it. Right? Because if <laughs> I see some return to greatness on the inner half, the oppo side looks great right now. Like the Jays in Toronto threw him a, a forget who it was, but somebody threw a heater up and away, like top of the corner, good velo, good spot. And he just smacked over the right field fence, right? Like that he didn't do when he was with Toronto. Not very often, at least, and not very realistically on purpose. Um, it was, it's intentful now. And so that's again, where I just, I, I pay attention to spring training, but I'm, I'm noting the guys that I'm looking for in the spring right now. I'm looking for those sort of trends when I watch spring training baseball. Okay. So I'm going to circle us back here to some of the guys that I think were under the radar at, uh, at the beginning of the year who had moments or might have just done little enough this year that they redraft market is just kind of letting them sail by, which means there's deals in dynasty. And that first guy for me and catchers, you know, never liked the conversation, but Jorge Alfaro with the Marlins, 244 average, only four dingers this year. Uh, 30 runs, 22 RBIs, but I mean, he's missed time. I have a feeling that Alfaro is going to be a very cheap and a very smart get this offseason for teams that want a minimal catcher investment on a guy who should be a starter. Yeah. And next year, if he can have, say, a 244 average for catchers, that's going to be right in the mix with everybody else. But the power is going to be the thing that you can bank on improving because, of course, it can't get worse. Um, well, so yeah. And he's one of those guys you look at and you say, how is he only 28? Right. He's been around a long yeah. time and he's still in the peak here. Right. So like, and, and if you remember the guy that was catching there before him really came into his own 27, 28. Right. And Chad Wallach. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just get that Chad Wallach plug in. Yeah, yeah. I think he's in Baltimore right now. Actually, um, fun story. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, you were saying JT Romuto. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, like the progression of a catcher, right? There's a lot of defensive changes in growth that way that you do see a lot of catchers come into their own later in the career. Christian Vasquez is another guy that had a very similar career trajectory and has become very fancy relevant. So Alfaro has that possibility. Because as Robbie's saying, that lineup's going to get better. And, you know, Alfaro could be a guy that benefits. He even snuck in some left field this year. He might have some outfield eligibility next year. Just wow. as a as definitely a will in Yahoo then, but it'll it'll depend on what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Um, so another guy late in the season, and we have already mentioned him, but uh, we're talking about guys who are of the moment. And Frank Schwindel's just having his moment now. But this is a guy that started the year uh, with Oakland at AAA, was playing first base. And I remember thinking, wait a second, he was a catcher with the Royals when uh, Perez got hurt. And sure enough, yeah, he was. But he's just kicked around and, and he didn't do anything with his with his opportunity. But this year in 211 at-bats, 336 average, north of 1,000 OPS, both of those stats over the last month, tie have been slightly better than the season average, which is 
awesome to see. Um, he went one for five today, but that's fine. He still has 14 dingers on the year, 40 RBIs, 37 runs, and a stolen base to boot. And this is a guy that we've said before should certainly have a starting job next year in Chicago. Like the control as far as, you know, RFA, all that crap. Um, he's going to make probably under a million bucks next year and he'll be on the Cubs opening day roster. Uh, but he's going to get that hype train this offseason. The, the closer we get, I think, to spring training, as long as they don't go sign some Wiley vet for a one year deal, uh, I can see Frank Schwindel being next year's Nate Lau. Well, and the other part of it, too, is like what what reason does Chicago have to go out and sign free agents? Like if you've got right. a cheap asset in Schwindel, you're going to run them out. Because they're they're in the tank mode, right? They're entering. Like if you're a Cubs fan right now, you don't want to hear this, but things are going to get real bad for you, and they're not going to be good for a while. So they need to completely tear it down. And they did an okay job of it at the deadline. They got some assets. Uh, they didn't get the stars that I think maybe they would have hoped, but they got some good players, and they've got some really nice pieces that they brought in. They're going to make them better in the future. But next year is going to stink, and they don't have any pitching for a while. So they need to go and find some young pitching and develop some young pitching and try to figure out how to move forward. But Schwindel, I think, it has, a, has a clear path to playing time next year. Yeah, and I, I mean, he'll be 30. Like, this isn't a young guy. This is somebody yeah. who can come in and have maybe a two-, three-year stretch. But on your dynasty teams, he can come in and make a real impact for you. And absolute potential here to get him and flip him this off season because yeah. somebody else is going to think he can do a million things. And if you're heading into next year, penciling Schwindel in as like a top 10 first base, you know, prospect for you or sorry, not prospect, but a top 10 first baseman um, for output uh, production. That was the word I was looking for. I knew it started with an S um, <clears throat> then you're going to be very disappointed when the league adjusts to him and he's going to have to make that adjustment back. But either way, right now he's having his moment. Nicky Lopez has sustained his moment for so long uh, from a 201 average last year to 303 for the year. And that's 469 at bat. So this is a full season of play, 70 runs, 41 RBIs, no power, two home runs, but 21 stolen bases. So that's been his big asset for fantasy owners this year. And he doesn't strike out a lot. 70 Ks, 45 walks, all that stuff's good. Um, I've had Nicky Lopez before in 80, in 18. I drafted him in a few spots as a prospect thinking there was something there. And then once he was up, I was like, Oh no, like, you know, that's when Mondesi came on the scene as well. And Nicky Lopez was basically just this second base, you know, 30th ranked guy, right? Like the last guy you would want as a starting second base potential in MLB and until this year, and it wasn't starting this year, Ty, right? Like it was, it was into May, June that he really started to take off. Um, I don't know what the plans are going to be for Nikki Lopez with KC long-term, but I, I don't know that I want any part of him still. The power is a big one. Like it's great that he got 21 stolen bases, but teams may very well watch for that next year. And KC typically can produce stolen base threats. Well, and Nicky Lopez is the kind of guy that needs to go elsewhere, likely, but he's probably going to be buried in the depth chart here. Uh, I mean, Bobby Witt is coming, whether it's to start next season or after the deadline next season. We're going to see Bobby Witt next season. I think the way they've progressed him, the way they're moving him, it looks like they're ready to make that step um, and have him in line with a lot of the pitching that they have. So I don't think there's a scenario where Nicky Lopez is a starter next year unless there's injuries. But he's the kind of guy that you hold on to as depth because he can play three infield positions well and give you great defense. So with that young ground ball focused pitching staff, Nicky Lopez is not going anywhere anytime soon, even though for him, it would be best to find another spot. Well, and somebody that is in the best spot to be in, but the team around him is in major transition is Brendan Rogers. Now we thought Brendan Rogers was going to be, something an awful long time ago. And then it just seemed like prospect fatigue set in to the point that he was almost a pariah as a prospect. You know, nobody wanted to talk about him uh, like Joe Adele. Joe Adele was still a, a rookie in fantasy baseball headed into this year, but he wasn't being included on anyone's list because like, oh, well, he was up with the big league team all last year. But that's MLB, right? If your fantasy league sticks to the the hard and fast 50 innings pitched, 130 at bats. Joe Adele was a rookie or prospect to start this year. 
Um, but he wasn't being talked about. Brendan Rogers was a similar type of guy, but Rogers has hit 287 this year, 807 OPS, 15 stolen base, sorry, 15 dingers, no stolen bases. Um, and a ton of case, almost four to one strikeouts to walks, which is an issue. However, he's in Colorado, gigantic field, and he's spraying the ball. Um, I I don't know that I'm I'm interested in him very much like Lopez, but it's almost the opposite. If all I can get from Brendan Rodgers is power and the lineup around him is going to get worse than the 47 RBIs, sorry, 48 RBIs, 47 runs, um, might not be able to get over 70 in a full season if there are fewer guys on base and fewer talented bats that can knock him in. So this well, might be a terrible time for Brendan Rodgers' fantasy owners, but I would not let go of him right now. No, and and I, I would say it depends on your, your team, though. Like, if you're trying to win in the next two seasons, I'm trading Brendan Rodgers this year because there's a glimmer of growth here. But the reality is losing the potential three or four key players that Colorado could lose this offseason. Like, Brendan Rodgers isn't going to have a ton of support in that lineup. So the reality to me is that if I'm not if I'm trying to buy Brendan Rodgers, I'm looking early mid next season when all hope is lost to acquire him. But if you have him and you're not going to be winning three years from now, if that's not your strategy, I think you should be moving um, Brendan Rodgers at this point. Okay, so Ty, if you were to pick, because the next guy up here is Edmundo Sosa, who broke in with the Cardinals this year. I'll say somewhat quietly until August. He's had he had a good run uh, over the last month. He's hit 300 with an 811 OPS. Uh, not not big on the powers. Only six dingers on the year in less than 300 at bats, but uh, 39 runs, 27 RBIs, four stolen bases. So, are you thinking for yourself if I'm choosing between Lopez? Uh, let's even throw Ian Happ in there. He's got like a 260 average this year. 23 bombs, six stolen bases. So you've got Nicky Lopez, uh, Ian Happ, Brendan Rodgers, and Sosa. Of those four, who do you feel most confident with? Ian Happ, all day, every day. Even at the potential of him not being with the Cubs next year? Or is that yeah. almost an asset? Yeah, I mean, if you look at what he's done in the last 60 days, like you'll have a bit of a different opinion, right? Like, yeah, he had a rough stretch for sure to, to start this year. Um, but, I mean, his September, he had a 1036 OPS his August, he had an 856 OPS. And, you know, in those two months, he had seven home runs each. So 14 home runs in August and September with a, a OPS just under a thousand. So he's, he's the easy choice here. And I don't even think it's close. Uh, Brendan Rogers in 2024, maybe, but between now and then, like, I, I don't even think this is a, a toss up or I don't think that it's a fair comparison because Ian Happ's established, I don't know what happened the first half of this year, if he was injured or what, but those last 60 days are, are what we expected and almost even overachieving for Ian Happ. So I, I think 80% of that output is what you should expect from Ian Happ. Um, and the walk totals are there. The guy walks all the time. Right. So, you know, I think that's it. Like even in a shortened season, right, his walk total is still, uh, you know, 55 um, in, in just what did he end up with? 445 at-bats. Right? So that's helping so, in your points leagues as well. If you're getting a point for a walk, you know, your OBP leagues, he's helping you out a little bit more there. So not just the standard five by five. It's almost as if when you spread categories out into larger formats, Hap can become a better player for you. Well, and I think he's the kind of guy too that had such a horrid start. And there's going to be so many fantasy owners with a bad taste in their mouth that he's going to be way cheaper to acquire than he should be. Right? right. Even like if you look at the late season production, like it's, it's, fairly obvious that this guy should figure it out, but he's also producing because he's been hitting ahead of wisdom and Schwindel who have been putting the ball out of the yard. So they're rather pitch to hap. So, you know, those are the trends that you got to pay attention to, but I think there's a strong possibility hap is elsewhere next year. Um, but at the same time, if he's there, he's going to hit behind Nick Madrigal, which is not the worst thing in the world. Thank you for bringing up Nick Madrigal. It's been a few podcasts. <laughs> it has been a few so anyway uh next guy up here for us i would say under the radar but but headed into the season lourdes guriel jr was getting hype train now that's coming off an 882 ops 308 season in 2020 with 11 bombs and three stolen bases so this year in just under 500 at bats he has 21 bombs only one stolen base he's batting 285 and he's just over 800 ops um, but that is thanks to a wicked 
last 30 days where he's batted 356 and 1133 OPS. So, um, and as well, seven of the dingers uh, in that time. So Lourdes has been a wonky guy this year. Um, first base, second base, outfield eligible right now on Yahoo. I don't know what the first base is, if that was just off days or something like that, since uh, Ruddy Talese has been out of town. But um, Lourdes, what, what do you think about him in the future? He was somebody that was getting a lot of hype with Toronto, but it, you know, as we knew from the Toronto landscape, there wasn't a, a spot you could just you know put him in. He was going to be moving around a little bit, very much like Biggio. So what are your thinking dynasty thoughts here on Guriel? Yeah, I mean, I think Guriel is going to continue to get better. Um, I, I'm my big concern for Guriel is position because as an outfielder, he's just crap. Uh, there's no other way. He's got a great arm, and you know, I I know I've had this discussion with a couple people. Third base hasn't even been a conversation. It's a former shortstop, and Toronto needs a, a staple at third base. Like why Guriel hasn't ended up there for at least a game this season or several games is beyond me um, because watching him well, as a Bravik Valera, the, <laughs> the yeah. out of nowhere, former Buffalo Bison, um, you know, he, he came up and now, and, and the other thing that's very frustrating to your point, Ty, Jake Lamb and Bravik Valera are platooning for a team trying to get into the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. Oh, it's, it's gross. And I mean, listen, like the, the capability of Lourdes Gurriel in left field was just, you know, personified this week when he wasn't even playing a ball and he put himself directly in front of Randall Grichik trying to throw the ball back in. And he, the guy just about stepped his finger off, um, you know, put a cleat right into his finger, like because he decided to put position himself directly between second base and the, the player fielding the ball. Like he could have just kept running. He could have stopped earlier. He was never, ever going to play that baseball. Right. And that just shows you the instincts this guy has in the outfield. It's horrifying. Every ball <laughs> over his head is, is automatically going to be on the ground. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to watch. And for me, like this is, this is a major liability for the Toronto Blue Jays. If they make the playoffs, it's very likely could rear its ugly head. Um, but that's my concern because the guy can absolutely rake. He's a great hitter. One of the best off-speed hitters in all of baseball. Um, and, and he's coming around on the fastball. And if you look at his older brother, his older brother's hitting for a batting title. And Yuli has always said that Lourdes is better. And I, and I tend to agree. Uh, Yuli's just experienced because Lourdes makes a lot of dumb decisions. And so I think he's going to continue to get better and smarter. And I think as a natural hit tool, after Vladdy, probably the best hit tool that the Jays have on their roster. And that's saying a lot with guys like Springer, Simeon, uh, Bichette on that roster. Kevin Smith. Yes, the list goes on. <laughs> um, next guy up here, Ty, is somebody that you talked a little bit about with one of your 30-team leagues where you've got him. But I'm, I'm curious your dynasty thoughts on a completely unmentioned redraft guy in um, Lamont Wade Jr. with the Giants. This year, he's got 18 dingers. 51 runs, 53 RBIs, six stolen bases, about a three to one strikeout to walk ratio, but still has a 260 average and an OPS at 836 headed into tonight. His last month has been strong to, to bring those numbers up, but he's also been um, not getting full time, but 87 at bats in a month. So I don't know what that puts him at four out of six nights, something like that, that we're seeing Lamont Way Jr. Do you think that he's. Um, What's the, uh, do you think he's a Yastrzemski guy or do you think no. he could be more of a stable MLB -er? Yeah, he's a, he's a, an elite platoon guy, right? Okay. Like, you know, somebody that Tampa would drool over essentially. Um, this guy is getting at bats almost every night though, because he's facing the righties out of the pen. So whether he starts against righties or whether he's coming out of the pen after the lefty leaves the game or out of the, the off the bench, sorry. Um, he's getting at bats and, and carries one of the best nicknames in baseball uh, in late night Lamont, which is just phenomenal. Wow. You uh, think that'd be Tommy Fams, but yeah, jeez. <laughs> um, that, that cuts a little too deep, Here's but geez, Siri wants to chime in. Um, but not you know, now, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> Lamont Wood Jr. has a great hit tool, a little bit of pop, but I do think. It's it's for deeper formats. Like if this is a if we're having right. a redraft conversation, I think he's irrelevant in that format. 
but I do think that in a dynasty league with position eligible outfield left, right center, I think he's an asset because, you know, especially if you're in head to head, he's the kind of guy that won't hurt you in the negative stats, but will only help you in the other categories. So I think it's a kind of a sneaky little play a little bit, the way we've talked about catchers that you can limit the damage. And, and I know in our big money league, Robbie, he's super valuable to me because in the three and four day matchups, I'm not worried about maxing out my counting stats every, every window. Sometimes it's about getting just enough at bats and limiting strikeouts and then winning uh, the pitching categories, right? So there's depending on the structure of your team, Wade Jr. can be super valuable. Yeah, I mean, even late in his career, Ichiro was still somewhat relevant in fantasy because if you were in a daily league, you could pick and choose when he was going in there and he could still have a high average and help you out. And not that I'm saying that that's what Lamont Wade Jr. is doing uh, specifically, but just the fact that you can find players who are not um, you know, everyday guys who can provide you with value that aren't just the streaky guys, right? Not the Adam Duvall's who will hit you seven dingers in eight days and then do nothing for two weeks. Um, consistency, even amongst bench guys, especially in the deeper leagues. So Lamont Wade Jr. is a guy, and again, under the radar, uh, which is why we're talking about him because missed by that redraft market. Now, here's a pitching staff that I put together, Ty, that is uh, completely unmentioned with the um, redraft market that I would like to hear your thoughts on. And I'm going to start off. It's not SP one through five, but just here are the dudes. Antonio Senzatella with the Rockies, who has a 414 ERA, but 14 quality starts this year in 150 innings, 103 Ks. Cal Quantrill of the future guardians, um, 282 average, 11 quality starts and a low K per nine, 143 and two thirds innings, 116 Ks for the year. Josh Rogers with the Nationals, who did not have a great start today, but prior to that, a 216 average in 25 innings, uh, two quality starts, 16 Ks, and I would say every opportunity to come back next year with the Nats, possibly SP5. Drew Rasmussen with the Rays, we've mentioned him a lot, but 71 innings, 71 Ks, a 304 ERA on the year. And Jake Woodford with the Cardinals, 392 ERA, yet to get a quality start, but 57 and a third innings, 45 Ks. I personally think, um, you know, now that Daniel Ponce de Leon, no, wait, that was two different players. Um, Ponce de Leon, <laughs> uh, now, now that that he is not going to be stealing starts from the SP5 spot, um, now that, you know, Carlos Martinez is not doing that, I think Jake Woodford could be SP5. So I don't know, uh, Ty, how about a Woodford? <laughs> so I, I will say this, like Sen- Senzel, Senzatella um, is a sneaky one. And, you know, we've talked about, uh, the guys in Colorado being way more valuable than people think. Uh, you just have to put them in the right positions to win. Like, you know, they're not start every start guys. And Sensatella falls into that category. Like, good stuff, high velo, um, enough to to do some things for you. You just have to monitor when and where you're using them. And that's where people generally lose on a guy like Sensatella. Now, Cal Quantrill, on the other hand, is going to be one of, if not the most overhyped guys this offseason. Oh, okay. Um, He's a young guy, what looks like coming into his own. But let me just read you the list of of starts uh, that he's had in the last two months. Kansas City, Minnesota, Minnesota, Boston. Okay, Boston. So back-to-back Boston is a little bit tough. But LA Angels, Minnesota Twins, Oakland Athletics, Detroit Tigers, Chicago White Sox. That's since the beginning of August. So that's about as soft a schedule as you're going to find over the last 60 days. So what I'm trying to get at is where he's really lowered that ERA. He went from, um, you know, basically four at the start of July, lowered it to about three, six by the end of, of the July against Houston, which he actually got, you know, allowed a couple, right. Kansas city allowed a couple, but then he got back into Oakland, Tampa, St. Louis. Right. And this was before St. Louis. I think this might be the last game St. Louis lost. Um, that Quantrill pitched here. So, you know, when you look at that schedule, that's where you have to make some of these analysis and look at what it is here, because that two eight, two ERA that you're looking at isn't as good as, as it appears. Now you can't just come into major league baseball and pitch sub three and be 
just lucky. That's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, but is he going to be SP2? Like he's going to get hyped up to be, right? That's the trajectory he's going to have this offseason. And I will, I am pumping the brakes hard. I think he's an SP4 at best. And I think this is going to be the next time the league comes around on him. I think they're going to touch him up a little bit more. And he doesn't have the strikeout numbers um, to really get him out of jail. So that's that's my concern because the exit velocity numbers are are pretty worrisome. Um, the K percentages are not great. And, you know, the walk, walk numbers are average. So, you know, I, I'm concerned there's a regression here. He is a location first guy. I just, I think, I think a, a low four ERA is what I'm looking for out of Quantrill moving forward. Okay. Well, I mean, again, the, the guard next year, they'll be the guardians. They, they are trying their very best not to win baseball games. So it might make it even harder for him to get wins, which would mean that you're playing for him to not lose. And based on uh, your assessment tie, it seems like the possibility for him to have double digit double digit losses is on the table. Um, Josh Rogers is very flash in the pan, but I think with the start, obviously the K's aren't there. If it was 25 K's in 25 innings, that would be far more interesting. But I, I think with the lack of depth with the nationals, there could be something here for Rogers. Um, yeah. Rasmussen again with the Rays. we've talked about him a lot, so we don't really need to go there. Well, Woodford's the only thing, the-, the only thing I want to touch on Rasmussen really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy is, is, just a pitch tunneler, right? Like if you look at his pitch maps, you look at the fastball overlaid with the slider, like there's some deception here just based on location and the pitches are good. So he's going to give you middle of the rotation stuff and no one really is paying attention to Drew Rasmussen. So I still think he's a great pickup in almost every format moving forward because that Tampa Bay team is not going to get worse next season. Okay. And um, yeah, for Rogers, he is a 26 year old. So this is somebody who's not, you know, uh, Paulo Espino, who's also with the Nationals, 34. Uh, he's got a 394 ERA in 102 innings this year in 90 Ks. You know, he might have a spot for next year for himself at a 34 year old, but for Rogers at a 26, at age 26, he might be a little bit more interesting. And I'm just trying to look at his minor league numbers because he was with both the Yankees. Um, who he came up with and was able to make it to AAA, I think, with, and then moved over to Baltimore. Um, but, I mean, nothing for him has been outstanding. ERAs in the 8s, in 18 and 19. Um, so it could just be pitching coach, working on something with him, trying to simplify things. Uh, I'm I'm certainly not, you know, putting a, a pin on him as somebody to go get. This is just like an end-of-the-season guy that could be getting overlooked that, you know, maybe that final start next week has some relevance to it as well. And then um, Jake Woodford, whether you had thoughts on him or not, I've got a couple of RPs. Uh, Gerald Cotton, somebody who was a a top 100 prospect on most of the lists, um, was injury, 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 couldn't get it together. Now he's pitching with Texas. And in 26 and a third innings, got 27 Ks, four safe holds. I think the potential could be there for cotton next year to be like the next guy, which is a Paul Seawald with Seattle, um, who I believe Seawald's 29. And I think he's got 12 saves now um, just obliterating every hitter that he comes up against. And uh, I think the Seattle bullpen next year may be insanely dominant. If Ken Giles is able to be a strike thrower and get guys out, cause they're going to be able to attack, And if they're knocking pitchers out in the sixth inning, um, like if guys aren't getting deep into games, Seattle might be more competitive next year than this year. And they're, what are they, three games out of a wild card right now with seven games to go, something like that. So a couple of RP options there. Does any either of those guys intrigue you or any comment for Woodford? Um, Woodford for me, like has some growth, but I want to see some increase in the strikeouts. If not, I think we're looking at the Cardinals version of John Gantt 2.0. Right, yeah, fifty-seven and a third innings, forty-five Ks. Certainly not um, gonna gonna get hype from from uh, fantasy community on that. Now, here is another. I do list. think there's yeah. some upside, though. I do think there is a possible progression. So why why I say that is like that's a guy I'm watching for the K numbers to bump, and if they go, there might be some some upside there that people aren't ready for. Okay. So here's a list of guys, Ty. I'm just going to throw at you all pitchers. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about Ranger Suarez with the Phillies, who's now starting. But we've got Michael King with the Yankees, Chris Ellis with the Orioles, John Lester now with the Cardinals. And, I mean, we talked about that at the trade deadline. Um, but he might want to come back for another year. You know, Eric Lauer with the Brewers, 
Uh, Drew Hutchinson with the Tigers. Yep, I, I know, I know. Um, and then Eli Morgan with um, Cleveland. So any of those guys of interest to you off the top? Ranger Suarez, I think, 145 ERA, <clears throat> excuse me, this year. Five quality starts. He's got seven wins. He is now starting for the Phillies. Um, 99 innings pitched, 98 Ks. But most recently, he's been just putting it together. A lot of the other guys here are um, far lesser known. Drew Hutchinson, just, I kind of think he might get a contract next year. I don't want to say he's like a Rich Hill, like, uh, but I don't know. I just feel like maybe Hutchinson might have a job next year. The Cubs need starters, so that's a real, real possibility yeah. there. Like wherever um, Matt Harvey goes, I think Drew Hutchinson <laughs> would be in that same conversation realistically. Yeah. yeah, and Baltimore might be a really good fit to be one hundred percent honest. Like that's that's a He's very real yep. possibility there. Um, you know, there's there's lots of possibilities. Ranger Suarez kind of fits the same mold for me as Quantrill. I'm concerned about the second time through. Like he's obviously been really good, um, and and doing a great thing. Amazing just... two start week for anybody who has him in championship <laughs> fancy baseball right now. Yeah, <laughs> Probably won absolutely. their league if it ended tonight. Well, exactly. And these are the kind of guys that help you get over that hump and and close a deal, right? And so I I just I'm not sure that a Philly's not going to go out and add to their pitching, or b that he's going to you know be able to su sustain what we've seen this year. Uh, but if he does, like he's an asset, I, I just, I think the value for him in a lot of formats is going to be just too high to justify the risk, right? There's just a lot okay. of fallout that could happen with Suarez that I, that concerns me. A guy on this list that I, I think is really underappreciated is Chris Ellis. Um, you know, if you look at what he's done so far this year, like the, you know, in just limited starts, he's only got 30 innings so far and Baltimore has been quite careful with him so far, but People are just hitting 170 against a fastball, 063 against his curveball. Now, I will say this. The thing I'm watching for with Chris Ellis is the curveball because I think it's hittable. It's been basically unhittable so far this year, but it looks very hittable. And so that's the thing I think we have to watch for. If he can sustain anywhere close to these numbers with the curveball, um, I, I think he's going to be a, a super valuable asset. And, you know, I've watched him dissect Toronto twice in the midst of their absolutely astonishing offensive output. Like he's one of the reasons they had to make those significant comebacks in Baltimore um, because he was one of the starters in those games. Um, this is a guy that's very under the radar, wasn't a highly touted prospect. And, you know, the, the numbers are, are worth a look, to be honest, like 23 Ks in, in 29 innings, I think could be a little bit better with some improvements on the slider. That's the one weakness okay. he's had this year. If he tweaks that slider, there's some strikeout numbers here because I think it will avoid the potential downside of the curveball by having that third pitch be a little bit more readily available. So somebody I'm curious about their ranking tie, if you're able to, to look up here, um, Eric Lauer with the Brewers, the 26-year-old who uh, at the time of the trade from San Diego, everyone was like, ah, throw in, right? No, Nobody of note. But the Brewers have put it together this year, as has Lauer, 113 and two-thirds innings, uh, 293 ERA, 114 Ks for him on a division-leading team. Uh, and, and I mean, prime to come back, right? Like, he's he's actually going to enter his own prime next year at 27. So I feel like for Dynasty owners, it might be somewhat costly, but not too bad because it's not like he had 170 innings this year and 170 Ks. But the ERA doesn't look too bad. Uh, I can't remember how many wins he had. I didn't, uh, I didn't get that down, he but either way, seven, he's got seven right now, seven wins. Okay. Um, so yeah, the stat line isn't overwhelming very much like a Badu, right? If you look, it's not great, but if you actually dive in beyond it, um, I think there's something there where Lauer could really help out dynasty owners in years. Well, and, and really not allowing a lot of hits per game. I mean, that's one of the big things there that I'm, I'm excited about. And I think the reality of, acquiring him is going to be a little bit easier than you think. Cause like how many formats is Eric Lauer going to be in a long-term contract, right? Like very few, if any, right? Like he's going to be available in free agency or, um, you know, in depending on your format, like in a draft. Right. So, you know, I, I do think he's going to be readily available. And if you look at the hits per nine and what Milwaukee has done with that defense, like there's, there's some value to Eric Lauer here. Uh, strikeout numbers are almost K per nine. And, you know, he's just doing his thing and he's been very, very, very good for a good Milwaukee team. So when people ask, how did Milwaukee win this many games? It's guys like Eric Lauer that are the answer to that question. 
So they can do the same thing for your fantasy team. You just got to look closely. And like you said, he was a throw-in, right? Nobody looked twice at Eric Lauer because he was supposed to be a guy in San Diego, disappointed everybody. And guess what? Now he's on team post hype. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's the reality here. Got the stamp tonight. He got the stamp tonight. Um, so Ty, final guy for me. And then if there's anybody else sweet, uh, is Eli Morgan. Cause we've, we've talked about him a bit and it's Dave from Rotosaurus, right? If there's any credit to be given, cause we said, what's a name in the system that might come up and do something. And he was like, I don't know. Eli Morgan just seems like a Cleveland guy. And that's pretty much what he's been in 77 and two thirds innings, 73 Ks, not bad, but not you know, 93 Ks, which would have been more dominant, but an ugly ERA 568. He has put together a good stretch. He's got four quality starts for the year. Um, Eli Morgan, I think, walks into uh, at no worse than a fight with one of the Allens next year for an SP5 type spot. But I think he's going to find himself in a position to have 20 plus starts. Do you think he's anybody that will be on radars next year? Because he's not going to have the the stat line this year to be coveted i think he's gonna be the kind of guy that's a darling and people want to want to try to buy late as like a i got eli morgan therefore i'm i'm really that good could be the steal of the draft type thing yeah like i i think that's the way people are gonna draft him i i just i don't see it i just i've watched him and cool he's had a couple good starts um but that doesn't that doesn't mean anything there's lots of guys that have had a couple good starts that were absolute garbage Right? Well, like, Wade Miley comes to mind as somebody who's absolute garbage. And I just mean as a human, um, because way back in 19, Ty, Wade Miley screwed me and I will never, <laughs> ever forget it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at guys like Tanner Rourke, there's a guy that can have a couple good starts. That doesn't make him good, right? And Ooh. so that's that's what we're looking at here with Eli Morgan. Because if you just look at you know the realities here, like the way guys are hitting against his pitches – 273 against the fastball, 275 against the slider, 178 against the changeup, which is his best pitch, right? And then two of his more limited pitches, the curve, they're hitting 556, and against the cutter, which is used very rarely, 667, right? So, like, I just don't see, like, that's not numbers that say this guy's going to progress. Okay. Um, and, and so that's what I see. I mean, I said that from the beginning. I'm, I'm staying with that. Could I be wrong here? Sure. But I, the numbers say that I'm I'm going to be right on this one, I think. So he's got one start left this year. And I, I did, when I entered this in, I missed his last start, which was great. Now, let me tell you, from a point standpoint, here's what he's done since August 2nd. And this is regular starts, which is the only time he's had them. And this is points. 24 points, 17 points, minus three. 28, zero, seven. Now we're into September, 17 points minus six. So we got blown up there and then 22 points and 30 points. So the potential is there for him to do very well in points formats. Now, the danger is also there, which means in head to head, when you look at or Roto specifically, if you look at the overall 83 and two thirds innings now, that's the update four and seven record, 79 Ks, 527 ERA and a 1.255 whip. That is not a player you would roster in a 15 team roto. So that yeah. pitcher would then be outside your top 75 uh, redraft wise, which basically means he's not going to be picked up unless someone thinks like you just said, Ty, there's a lot underlying there, but I will say in larger league formats, Eli Morgan is going to be somebody who because of the age, because of the organization will be given a little bit of value. So it's up to you, the dynasty owner. I mean, I've got him in a few spots. Um, I'm not going to trade him, but I'm certainly not thinking to myself next year. Uh, he's going to be a start every time guy. It's going to be very situational because he he did have a good start against Toronto. He had a good start against Detroit, had one against Minnesota, against Boston, against the Yankees and against the White Sox. So there's some good teams he's had good starts against, but he sucked against Milwaukee. He sucked against Boston, sucked against Texas, Oakland, um, you know, mixed bag. Yeah, I just I think there's just not enough stuff here to sustain long term. I do think there's going to be some playing time because I think the reality of what Cleveland has to analyze this offseason is, are they going to re-sign Bieber long term? Are they going to try to extend some of the other guys they have in that rotation? They've got some questions they have to answer. Uh, I think they're very much going to move Jose Ramirez to Toronto when Simeon Whoa, goes hey, and signs somewhere hey. else. 
Don't so, you go getting ahead of our free agent conversation. I, I, I get it, but I but that's not a free agent, so I'm good. Um, but well, it's free I, agent tracker, and you said Simeon, and you're talking well, moves. But he's not a free agent yet, so I'm I'm playing all the loopholes here. Um, I, he has a club option, actually, Ty. So the possibility exists. I so future episode coming up for people. Um, the free agent tracker 2021-2022. So Ty's mentioned it briefly. Uh, players with club options, guys like Arenado who can opt out, um, Castellanos who's got, who can opt out. Uh, all those guys, we we have ranked a top fifty. Really, I think there's fifty two relevant guys, but we have ranked the top fifty. And um, then looking on the outside in, you've got the Jackie Bradley Juniors of the world, Kendall Grayman, Brad Hand, uh, Kirby Yates, Rosenthal. You know all those guys. We will be talking about where we think they are going to go next year and the value that they could have. And there are a lot of guys with club options here, including uh, future Toronto Blue Jay, Kyle Seeger. Oh, geez. No. <laughs> no. So look forward to that one during the MLB playoffs when we start talking about where guys could end up next year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that episode. That's a lot of fun uh, trying to figure all that stuff out. Um, you know, this is a great list, Robbie, tonight. And this is a good look into you know, what serious players are looking at. So if you don't know who some of these guys are, that's why you're not winning. Um, and if you won without knowing who some of these guys are, good for you. You did a yeah, great job a, drafting. Uh, tell us what size league you're playing in. Yeah. Um, you know, hit us up at Dinger's Pod. Uh, find myself at Robbie Baseball One. Find Ty at Turney Boss. Uh, we're up for conversations. We know everybody is fantasy football crazy right now, but Dynasty never sleeps. That's right. And great spot to leave it, Robbie. Until next time, it's been Tyler and Rob here on Dingers.